Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. We have news for you all. Yeah, we are so excited to share that as so many of you have asked for us to host more than just one week-long immersive experience, we are bringing another retreat into the fold this year. And this time we're headed to Nosara, Costa Rica, June 3rd through 10th. Yeah. We heard you. We heard you. We're doing more. We're trying. <laughs> this time, though, we're actually bringing in two of our dear friends and colleagues to come along with us and join the party. So we're going to have Ashley Torrent and Millie Murillo there. Um, and honestly, the four of us together, I don't know, our powers mm-hmm. combined, drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychotherapy, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, group processing, all the things. We'll be supporting you all in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live. It's going to be such a transformational week. I'm so excited already. And if you are interested in learning more, you can go to the link in either of our social bios or head over to Vanessa's website at vanessabennett.com. And we have payment plans available for this one as well. Yeah, definitely hit me up on email if you want to know more about that. We are super excited and we hope to see you all there. So... I got passed around an article. Actually, I realized it was from 2022, but it, it got um, got kicked up again. As TikToks do, they go viral. And when they go viral, they kind of like circle around and then have these like little bursts. And I think what happened is the TikTok that this BuzzFeed article was written about must have gotten another bump because that's why this article is going around again. So the title of it is, this woman went viral for explaining why kissing and cuddling can often feel like signing a contract for sex. And I a thousand percent agree. Right. So <laughs> that wasn't me. So that was actually the title of the article. Funny as you said, I thousand percent agree. No, no, no. That was actually the title of the article. <laughs> that no, was I'm not my words. But did, oh, I mean, you, I, but didn't you say I a thousand percent agree? That's part of the actual article. And I a thousand oh. percent agree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dead. I mean, I do also agree, but that is not my words. <laughs> hey, wait, I didn't say it. Article, I'm just reading what I'm, I'm reading it. Um, so basically, there was all there was one TikTok, right? And then obviously the comments blew up, and so it became this big thing that women were talking about, which is, um, and I sent it to you because you and I have been kind of talking about this, and I don't want to get ahead of myself and speak about you know all the things we will we'll get there, but really this feeling that a lot of women have, which is, I'm almost not able to lean into or enjoy physical intimacy with my partner for fear of it being expected that it will lead into something else, right? And even when my partner initiates physical contact, it feels as though there's there's something underneath it, right? There's an expectation underneath it. It can't just be coming up behind me and rubbing my shoulders without it turning into a tit grab. It can't just be, um, I mean, truth, like that's a, that's a thing. Like, yeah. For those of you listening, Danae Rose raised her eyebrows. Um, <laughs> you know, or we can't just kiss and have like a deep 
deep, passionate kiss without it suddenly, you know, feeling like you expected to lead to the bedroom. And so women have this kind of, and I've talked to clients about this, where their body almost like tenses up or like becomes mm -hmm. rigid when their partner physically comes into their space because immediately it feels like you need something. You're going to expect something. You're going to want something from me. And so they stop being able to soften into their partner. And I have personal experience with this. I know that I've, I've spoken about it with my partner too. And I talk about this a lot with clients. And the reason why I sent it to you and I was like, oh, this is feels like something we've been talking about. And if you want to speak to the Jeremiah video, I saw something recently from Jeremiah about men going celibate. And I was like, oh boy, this is a conversation. <laughs> yeah. So those of you guys who don't know what we're talking about, Jeremiah Latimo, who came on the podcast a couple months ago and was one of our absolute favorites and is going to come back on again has really been challenging, I feel like, the men in his community to look inward at some of the ways that they are outsourcing their power, outsourcing their feminine um, with the women in our in their lives. And he was he wrote um, this article and, you know, had an entire podcast on five reasons that he thinks men should all go celibate. And I was listening to it and my mind was blown because there are just so many things about the experience of men and their relationship to sex and their relationship to body image and um, the ways that we've talked about men can tend to use sex as a way to self-regulate a lot of times unconsciously. And I think, you know, it's funny, as you said, tit grab, I sort of had my mind shifted to a different space of what I think is actually happening for women that I think cultivates so much resistance around that. And what I have come to understand is there is a very specific ownership template that we hold in society that once I'm in relationship with someone, that person sort of belongs to me and I'm entitled to regular sex from this person. And it should just be like the obligation because we're in a partnership, like you should give me that. And I would say what that does to the core feminine, who is um, what I, what I've come to understand about these energetics is that for those who identify as a core feminine, you are aroused in the space of being seen, not seen as an object, not seen for like, oh, you are, you know, a beautiful woman and I want to grab your tits, but more like who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. I see you. Like I really like intimacy is into me. See, I see this person deeply. Um, the experience of feeling seen by another person is what arouses the feminine. And actually sex for a core feminine woman needs to be a very egocentric experience. I need to really be able to go into my body and not be externally focused. It's not the same. And it's funny. Another person who's coming on soon, Danny, I'm blanking on his name. Is it, um, I'm blanking on Danny's last name, but he's coming on soon. And he was talking today in one of his posts about how we need to stop acting like men and women are the same they're not. And it's a very politically incorrect stance to take, but he's like, we're not the same. Men don't have to carry babies for nine months. They don't experience all the physical hormonal shifts that come with that. There's ways that we are just built and made to respond different. And it's not that we shouldn't have equality in terms of, you know, our ability to earn and our ability to have rights. That's not what he's saying, but he's basically saying acting as though like what arouses the masculine and the feminine are going to be the exact same thing is why we're struggling so much in our relationships. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, but I can't tell you how often 
I will talk to couples and the man and the couple in heterosexual dynamics will say, you know, I'm doing things like I'm strutting around for her with my, my private parts out and no response. And I'm like, yeah, of course not. Cause very rarely is what response, what creates a response in a woman seeing a penis. I don't know why men keep sending women dick pics because for the most part, that is not what normally arouses the feminine. But I'm curious to hear what you think. So it's Danny Mor- Moral. Moral? Danny Moral. Moral. Um, and so I think it's less about what doesn't arouse the feminine or the woman is not that those are necessarily interchangeable, um, is the visual of a penis. I When you and I talk about the image of the man kind of strutting around – what immediately comes up in me is a res- like an icky feeling. And I actually think that's more about ego. And so even if it's wounded, I'm walking around. It's like they're, they're literal dick wagging, right? Like in that, in that example. But there is something about literal dick wagging or um, like the kind of rooster, right? Like the puffed up chest, the walking around that I think can be very unattractive to a lot mm. of women. The other example I was just thinking about is I was telling you a story about how, and this, I won't go into the whole thing, but my mom and I were in Paris and the way that, you know, there was a kid that was, we thought might be under some kind of duress. And so we stopped, it was in the street and this other man was walking like home from work, or whatever. And he stopped as well, not because he saw us looking, but because he also saw this little boy and he stopped and he asked this little boy what was going on and whatever. And we, I was telling you how my mom jokingly was like, Ooh, like, Oh, like he walked away and she was like, so like aroused, like joking, like, God, that guy was hot. There was, there's something about when a man again sees, not just sees you, but sees when he is, uh, there's a, there's a feeling of integration in that. He's not in a space of ego. He's in a space of service. Perhaps he's in a state, he's in a space of presence that is very arousing, right? And I think that for a lot of men, and I blame this obviously on society that like we've taught them that they have to provide. This is what a man looks like. Boys don't cry. You know, all this bullshit that we've, we've fed our, our boys and then become men. A lot of that actually is very unattractive in a lot of ways to women. If we're talking, you know, heterosexual here relationships. And I think that it's, it's, it kind of has done a disservice because I've talked to my partner about this. I don't actually want to hear from you that I look beautiful. I know maybe unpopular opinion. Some women are like, what the fuck are you talking about? You sound crazy. I don't actually, here's the thing. I know I'm attractive. Like I have that. And that's not me being egotistical. That's me going, I have a deep love and reverence for myself. I've done a lot of work where I know when I look good and I'm feeling it in my body. I actually don't need you to reflect that back to me. What makes me feel the most seen and the most loved by you is when you go like coming out of a tough situation with my kid, when you go, you're such a good mom, you really like handled that so well. Or I'm like, I'm so proud of how you showed up in this situation or whatever. Right. Again, that's the seeing. And so there's something that just feels very like there's a difference between me literally walking around wagging my dick and checking myself out in the mirror and expecting you to be turned on by that or the tit grabbing, even the energy that comes with that, right? Versus being present, showing up for a child, seeing you in a moment, like those just energetically feel drastically different. Well, because I think 
you're talking about the differentiation between having a sense of self or not. The reason mm -hmm. the rooster thing feels like a little bit offensive is because it's a little bit like, I need you to see me to feel like enough, right? Yes. I don't have enough of a sense of self to sort of do that for myself. And again, what that does is put the masculine in a feminine energetic, right? The feminine is the one who um, is longing to be seen and acknowledged. And if the core masculine is in the can you see me, can you acknowledge me space. Um, again, this is like, it's tough to talk about because it it doesn't feel politically correct or, you know, like what we've been socialized in terms of equality to say and believe. And yet I have found across the board that is what is happening underneath a lot of these dynamics energetically. And I think most of what modern society has created in men is... Um, a lack of presence. And mm -hmm. so men really, really struggle to be present, not only with their partners, but with themselves to like stay with myself to not distract to be able to self soothe and um, validate myself and own my own self worth. And a lot of that is like, we can't selectively numb. So when you teach men that you don't get to feel feelings and that you are what you can provide and nothing else, all of those things, what they do is they draw away from a person's sense of self. I'm not solid in who I actually am. I am solid in how the world validates me. Mm -hmm. I am solid in what the world what I thinks own. of in terms of my power, right? All of those things are not um, authentic power. They are externalized power. And all of this is like intuitive. If we don't feel that level of safety from the masculine, like I know for sure I've, I'm safe with you because you know yourself, then it's like the intuitive response of like, oh, I have to take over. I have to mother you, which puts me in a masculine role, which I can do it. We're going to do it with our children, but then I'll be, I'll be mothering you like I would a child. Yeah. I was thinking too about how I think I mean, it's been going on for a while, but more recently, I think with like Andrew Tate being in the media and stuff like, I mean, again, he's been around for a while. There's this backlash to, I think, in some portions of the population around like men need to be men again. Like this generation is making men too soft. And what I think is so interesting is there are a, or is a population of women who are drawn to the roosters like there are. Right. And I would say that a lot of those women have a lot of internal work that needs to be done around this healing that you and I talk about a lot um, because there are uh, there is a wave of people in support of the Andrew Tates of the world or, you know, the Jordan Petersons of the world, like the people who really do continue to kind of push against what you and I talk about, about integration of masculine and feminine and what it means to show up as an integrated masculine. Um, and so they're out there, like there are women out there that are like, what are you talking about? I find dick wagging super hot. <laughs> but For the first, I would say maybe year, but I would love to talk yeah. to those women in relationship with an Andrew Tate five years down the road. And I think a lot of what sort of informs my perspective on a lot of these dynamics is there's a lot of things we can do comfortably while we're dating someone or early in relationship that 10 years into your marriage start to feel a little bit different than they used to. You standing in the mirror wagging your tail or whatever you were saying about the rooster and I've got like I said a dick, laundry by the list. Way. <laughs> you said she tail. Said I, said dick. I said tail. Um, <laughs> and I've got a laundry list of things to do. Like if we've had children and now the real real is I've got like 45 things that I need to get together for our kids assignment and after school activities and this for work and and you're wagging your tail and now you want sex for me because you need me to pay attention to you. Fuck right off. Like is most mm -hmm. women's experience. So I think it's like, yeah, that's cute for a minute. But 
I think the real real of what people are experiencing in their day-to-day lives is this starts to feel a little different. And what we understand about some of the dynamics about what feels like actual containment to the system is a little bit different than what it feels like in the beginning. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I do. I mean, I do. I know everything that you mean. (laughs) (laughs) I know all the things that you mean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I am, I am interested in it though, just because I, you know, some of you have heard me talk about how I'm in the space of kind of writing a book proposal right now and I'm like in research mode. And so I'm constantly like TikTok and Instagram people are sending me things all the time and I just can't believe how often I am seeing this like pushback. Um, Actually, I can believe it, but this pushback against the work that you and I are attempting to do, especially with couples and the kind of men that you and I hold in our spaces and spheres (laughs) and how many men are holding on to it. I was just thinking about there's some of you probably have seen it, but there is this, um, this guy that went viral on TikTok a couple of times because he was doing stitches with some of the men out there that are like, men need to be more, you know, they need to get back to being men again, you know, blah, blah, blah. Where are all the real men? And this one guy says, where are all the real men? And this guy does a stitch with it. And he's (laughs) this super big, burly, bearded, tattooed guy. And he's got this like princess dress on with a crown and he's got his two daughters and (laughs) it's like a, like a heavy metal. And he's like, we're having princess parties. And all the girls are like, yeah. And they're all like shaking their heads up and down, like rocking out. And I'm like, see, that's fucking hot. (laughs) That is fucking hot. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. And I, I, I just want to name that I do think it's hard for men and it's also like, it's, what is it? It's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Right. To me, the work is I need to do my own work. I need to mm-hmm. be taking ownership Always. of having an integrated sense of self and stop looking for someone outside of me to do that. And that's across the board, men, women, Whoever you are, Mm -hmm. the work is always about you taking responsibility for what is this bringing up in me? Why is this bringing up this in me? Um, But I think it can feel hard because a lot of what society has taught men is there's like a problem solution. This like, you know, like happy wife, happy life. like, And it feels too nuanced and too complicated. And it's not really. But the work is your work now is to like the integration of your inner feminine is I got to be in relationship with the complexity of me. Like what is happening for me when I'm wearing that princess dress and dancing with my daughter? Can I allow for the beauty in that and not look externally to society to tell me what's okay or not okay for me to be as a man? So I actually, I think some of what I was saying earlier is misinterpreted as me saying men need to return to like these alpha male men that like look a certain way. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying to me, leadership from a man and from the masculine is an integrated sense of self. It is knowing myself well, not perfect, but that I'm in relationship with myself and taking personal responsibility for what's going on inside of me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, listen, we say this all the time, right? Like everybody loses under patriarchy and um, men, I think, have suffered especially. And it's not to take away from women's suffering, but I, I think men have suffered especially because just so much of their humanness has been cut off. And I, I do see it and I, and I watch the struggle and I, I feel for men right now in this day and age only because they really are like, well, this is the template that we've been told is the very black and white, right and wrong way to show up as a man, a heterosexual man in this society. 
And now we're being told that that's not what's actually wanted or desired. And also we're being shown that like, again, the be- the role of the provider, like that's not needed or necessary anymore, um, you know, because women can do that for themselves. And so who are we? What are we? Like, what do I go? Where do I go from here? Right. And I, I see a lot of floundering and I, I have a lot of empathy um, because I don't think there's very many spaces where men have the opportunity to be really vulnerable and say, I'm confused. I don't actually know how to show up. I don't know what I, I don't know who I am. I don't know my, myself. Right. And I, I saw this a lot when we were, when we were in the lab, like doing all my codependency classes, so many of the men, and I know, you know, you got close to a lot of them too. That was a lot of their struggle, right? How they were raised. And then here they are in their thirties, forties, fifties, attempting to know themselves, attempting to understand themselves. And, um, a lot of them had really kind of said like, screw the system. Like, I don't really care about the system anymore. I'm just, I, I want to return to some sort of alignment within myself. Um, but I just, I watched them struggle so, so much. And I just, yeah, I have a lot of empathy. Yes. It's such a big yes. And because I, I have an unbelievable amount of empathy and the big and for me is, um, those men in the lab were showing up every week, working mm-hmm. their ass off to know themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And my brothers, like with so much love and respect for, and and maybe this is a question for you, like, what do you think the resistance is around doing some of this integrative work around getting my butt in a therapy chair? Like it's 2023. And I do still find there are a lot of men who are really, really resistant to what it means to like men that we like deeply respect who they are. And, you know, like are some pretty like emotionally intelligent men still have a lot of resistance to being in regular therapy. And I wonder what you think that's about. I mean, I would be curious to, I don't know, maybe get like a John or somebody on here that can speak to it from what it feels like to actually be in a man's body. But it, for me, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying about the template that they've been given. You know, I think that if you are told I mean, look, God, I don't know why this just came up, but for me, it feels a little bit like some of the people I work with on the other side of, let's say, like leaving the church or like a lot of religious trauma. If you've been told your entire life that this is it, this is the truth, this is the way, this is reality, right? And suddenly somebody outside of you or somebody outside of that circle comes in and gives you some information that maybe that's not the absolute truth. Maybe there are other truths. Maybe there are opposing truths. Maybe there is more nuance than that. That's fucking scary. Right. And I think that that can really, I mean, that can create such a, such a seed of not only self-doubt, but then also like distrust in everybody around you, distrust in your family, distrust in your friends, distrust in your community. Like everyone's been lying to me. I mean, I just see so many people coming out the other side of so much religious trauma because of that, right? Now I don't trust anybody. I mean, there's so many layers to go through, but I feel like it's kind of similar with men. I mean, it's like logically they know this stuff. They're starting to understand it. They're doing maybe some of the work, right? Some of the reading, some of the maybe social media poking around. But there's layers to deprogramming when you have been programmed since birth, right? And I don't think it's just a light switch that that we can just turn off. I think that um, I'm still going to cling to some of the old stuff because it's what I've always known. And if I let go of everything I've always known, that 
what do I have left? You know, that feels really scary. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think that's a really important point that the pain I know is still the pain I know. Mm -hmm. The unknown is so unbelievably terrifying to the psyche when I don't know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be in emotional pain and I know what it feels like to just sort of feel like life is something that I need to get through, but that I'm really struggling to feel a lot of consistent fulfillment. Um, and I think you're right. I think there, I mean, absolutely. I, I think there are ways that we can build up such a thick wall of denial as well around the ways that we're coping with our lives. We, you know, I certainly was married for many years feeling like, well, you know, you, you make your bed and this is what being an adult is. Right. And mm. now it feels like to me, like, I just would never be in something that didn't feel in alignment with truth the way that I was for so many years. But that felt very foreign to me at the, not even foreign. Like it just wasn't even, I couldn't see it. Right. Like I, right. I saw things through the context of what I understood life needed to be. And I think that's what you're speaking to. And I think that's really important. Um, and it's tough, right? Because I think one, as you said that, like I just had such a swell of empathy that came up for just the remembrance of what it feels like to have denial about like maybe the truth of where I'm suffering, but also um, if I've, I've never experienced how good life can feel on the other side of this liberation, then it's really hard to know that that's what that is. But I think women, um, and this is another conversation that you and I were having, are really frustrated. You know, there was- oh, yeah something you brought up um, a few months ago about like the development gap between men and women. And there's, I think, been a ton of articles about like the rise of the lonely single male and that, you know, dating apps are just like full of men that are really struggling to find women that are interested in dating them. And to me, it's this gap in the inner work that so mm -hmm. many women are doing and that men don't seem to be doing it. And V, when I tell you, I've had so many clients, friends, women in my sphere that have said, I've just sort of like decided that I'm done with men. And I've, I've been um, expanding my dating profile to include women. I've been going out on dates with women and um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't really have anything to say except that I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, how many women are just in the space of like feeling like they're kind of giving up on our brothers a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is, I mean, isn't this one of the greatest lessons in life is to hold, hold all of the opposing truths with compassion. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I want to go back just for a second, backtrack a little bit on what I was saying about religious trauma only because I don't want people hearing me to misunderstand what I'm saying about like, Oh, people who come out the other side realize that like all of it was bullshit. That's please do not misunderstand what I'm saying when I say that about religion. That's not necessarily it. What I'm saying is that anything that teaches us that there is only one truth, that there is only one way to be, that there is no room for anything or anyone to be different, that there is only like that there's no nuance in life, that there's no room for error. I don't care what that is, whether that's patriarchy, whether that's religion, whether that's psychology, like I don't care what it is. I say push against all of that because the most beautiful thing about our universe is how unbelievably multifaceted and colorful and sparkly and nuanced it is. And when anybody gets into black and white rigid thinking, 
I'm sorry, I have to challenge that, right? So that was more what I was speaking to. So I didn't want to like, I don't want to digress from what you were saying today, but I felt like when I was thinking about what I was talking about, about religious trauma, I didn't want people to say, think that I was saying like religion's bullshit. That's not what I mean. I just think that a lot of people who come out the other side just feel really slighted by the fact that they were given such a narrow view of what the world and the universe could potentially offer and be. And well, I, I guess the same given. goes for men. Yeah. I think given, given is the key point to me. I think if, if there's something that I'm not defining for myself, and yes. I often say that about like my distinction between religion and spirituality often is it's like my relationship with truth mm -hmm. versus something that I've been offered. And this is the truth. And you know, this is the take truth. It this is fact. Take mm -hmm. it. And if you question it, then that's a problem. But I think religion um, is often like the truth laid out versus spirituality is the the truth that I formulate and come to for myself. Um, and I don't, I think that religions are beautiful expressions of our attempt to understand and, and can be very supportive in that. Um, but I digress. I think, you know, to your point, that's like that inner authority versus external authority to me. Um, but again, back to <laughs> what, what, you know, what is happening in terms of like, I, I say a lot and I believe this, there's an unspoken war of the sexes. I feel like it is from my perspective being heightened a little bit in what is the fall of patriarchy. Like it's slowly crumbling and that it's, it's just creating a dynamic where a lot of men are um, not really sure who they are supposed to be, what their place in the world is. I hear a lot of white cis hetero men talk a lot about like, it just feels like everyone wants us to sit down, shut up and go away. Mm -hmm. And anything we say is wrong. And I mm -hmm. do have so much unbelievable empathy for what that, you know, must be like. And I don't know, like, how do we come I back? I think we're supposed another? to know. <laughs> I think we're all in it together, you know, and I think it's going to be, it shows up in how we are in our households first, right? I mean, the collective is really a representation of what's going on in an individual level. And so I think the more I continue to show up and have these conversations within the four walls of my home, with my partner, with my daughter, right? Um, I mean, shit, you and I were just talking about how even like as much of like Disney fanatics as you and I are and always have been, I'm really struggling with a lot of these princess movies now that I have a daughter and it's not that they're not nostalgic and I don't love the music and, and I, it's like, I want to pass that on and share that with her. But then I find her repeating things that just, they gross me out. Bottom line, they, they give me a feeling of ickiness deep in my soul that I'm like, what am I doing? What am I teaching her? What am I for the sake of nostalgia? Because I like the music. Like, what am I actually teaching her? Because this gets in, you know, these are the kind of lessons that get deep, deep, deeply burrowed into the psyche. Um, and this becomes our imprint. And so I, I'm really struggling with that, you know? Um, I don't know. I, Anyway, yeah, having kids, I think, has just like maybe even made this conversation for you and I come up more. I mean, yes, obviously interpersonal romantic relationships, but I do think having children does that because you do start to realize like the patterns or the things that you've been taught, like what does that look like for the next generation? What do you want to teach your children? Um, and so I think it shines a black light on it. I'm just laughing that like nobody's going to tell Logan anything ever. <laughs> 
She'll be fine. My girl but is a boss. She is a boss. But, you know, it's like dumb stuff that I'll hear her say, like, oh, that's a boy color. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Where did you even hear that from? There's no such thing, you know? Or she'll, we were in the backyard. I told I you this, did but. She hear that? I don't know. It, it irritates me. But we, like, we were in the backyard the other day and I told you that she was saying something like, oh, I'm going to play princess. And I go, you know, it's a really fun game. Let's play witch. Mm. <laughs> she was like, what? And I was like, you know how cool witches are? Like I'm on a mission that so that she understands like what witches actually are, like, you know, how the how the term has been bastardized. Like I was literally saying to her, my poor three-year-old, like, did you know that the term witch this comes from the same root word as wise and they're considered wise women? And I, you know, my three-year-old's looking at me with these glazed over eyes, but I just like I want her to understand and to know the the fullest expression of the feminine and not have her only think that in order to be a woman or to be in her feminine, she has to be in this constrained box of wearing pretty dresses and dancing around and being a fucking princess. Like that is what we were taught. And I see it already in her and it breaks my heart. And I just, oh, I'm getting emotional even thinking about it. Like it, it, it fucking makes me mad. (laughs) Well, and here's something I'll name and hopefully this is supportive. That is an aspect of the feminine as well. It right? is, like, but it's not the only. <laughs> of course, but also there's a way that we can put some of our pain on our children. And there are ways that like, you know, whatever our experience of like, I didn't want to wear dresses and that was imposed upon me and who the daughter in front of me may be someone who really loves pink and frilly things and dresses. And you do an amazing job of this. You're like, put on the dresses. I don't give a shit. Even though that's not who you are. I think that I'm just naming that too, because I think that there are ways that sometimes we as parents can put some of our pain points on our children that aren't necessarily theirs to carry. Meaning like my mom had a very specific idea of who she wanted me to be as a little girl. She wanted me to go to ballet. She wanted me to do all of the frilly things. That's not who I was. But some little girls, that is going to be who they are and what they want to do. And I think if their mom is a mom like me, for instance, it's like, oh, whatever. Like, why do you care about shoes and fashion or whatever? And that's their jam. That can also be another, like, that is the embracing of the fullness of my feminine in a different form. And so I think it's all, like, with curiosity, like, who is the truth of you and who you are in your essence? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't want it to be given to her from an external source, which is what we were talking about with the patriarchy and men, right? Like you come to this on your own. I am in full support. This is given to you by an external source. That feels different to me. And I think that's why I'm questioning a lot of the content that she takes in because yes, I mean, if she loves princesses and dresses, like I'm not judging that by any means, but my question is, do you, or is that what you're being told that you should like, because that's what you're watching. Like, that's where I start to have an issue with it because I just want her to be able to come to that conclusion on her own. Just like I want Cairo, right. To be able to come to the conclusion on his own of like what it feels like for him to be in his skin and to show up authentically for him. Right. I mean, shit, Logan wears mostly Cairo's hand-me-downs. It's like, there's no such thing as boys and girls clothes. Can we fucking stop with this bullshit narrative? of already like I was in advertising for 10 years that shit came through an advertising campaign in the 50s it doesn't exist like cut it out you know um dresses were actually worn by men until like the early to mid 1900s so like let's just stop you know um so I just get really activated by this shit because I think this is actually perpetuating some of the conversations that you and I are having around these masculine and feminine dynamics like so many of us are sitting here sorting through the rubble being like what is mine 
and what is not mine? Like, what was I kind of crowbarred into my ear? And then what did I actually believe for myself, you know, and just becomes really hard. Yeah. But I think the thing that we are doing that a lot of us didn't get in our childhood is being in the conversation. And I'm actually not on the side of like, shut it down, no Disney movies, like, or even like the ways that they have like removed some of the like offensive um, content from some of these Disney films, because it's not culturally sensitive. I would rather be with my child in conversation about what my experience is around some of these things. Um, what I I see when I, I witness this, right? Like what it brings mm -hmm. up in me than sort of saying, no, we can't even like have those things, make them go away, right? Like, because I think that's just not giving your child the ability to to navigate how to right. decipher what is true for themselves. That's still another form of putting my values, my, and some parents would say that's our job, right? I don't necessarily um, subscribe to that theory that like my child is meant to be an extension of what I believe. I, I believe that he is meant to to teach me like what feels true for him. And we are meant to be in relationship around that, you know? I really love when she sings back that part in Cinderella where they go, you go get the trimmings, leave the sewing to the women. I mean, and I so what is that? What does that bring up for you? Do you like to sew? Like, do you, do you feel Absolutely like that's not, like, but should, no, but like, do you feel <laughs> like that should be it. a girl's job? Do you think like, no, of course not. Can't, I'm not asking you. I'm saying, oh, I'm like, what are you asking? Wild. Like, of course not. <laughs> I'm like, uh, Vanessa, I understand. It doesn't bring up anything in her because at this age, they take it as truth. That's what I'm saying. It's like it becomes muddy because at such a young age, they don't, they're not deciphering yet. And so yeah, they're just saying, oh, this is what I'm being taught. intelligent. You can say things like, that's weird. Boys oh, I do too. Boys love to sew. What are they talking about? You know? Like, oh, I do. <laughs> versus like, we can't hear yeah. that song because that's offensive. And well, so what happens when she hears Joe Schmo's dad say it down the street when she's yeah. at you know what I mean? Like we can protect our children to whatever extent, but life, but like, how do I be in a relationship with like, do you think that's true? I don't know. Cairo loves to wear pink. Cairo's always wearing pink. A ton of the clothes that you have are Cairo's and they're pink. Like, I don't know. Other examples of why this is nonsensical. From my perspective, you may want to decide that you want to be a traditional woman who loves to sew. I don't Oh, I don't care either way. I just decide that yourself. You know what I mean? That's the only thing I care about. Yeah. You just make that choice. And I say the same for obviously men under the patriarchy too. Like you make that choice. Let's stop looking to the external to make that choice for us. Right. Yeah. Well, this has been a circular conversation. We have somehow come back to parenting. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I don't know. But are. this it's, is, it's this weird. is an insight into the kind of conversations that we have. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's just, I think I'm going to go back and kind of end my piece in just saying, repeating, I suppose, it's a day-by-day -day conversation. I think we just have to continue to come back to a space of curiosity, a space of questioning why we believe there's black and white truths, right? And can we hold space for other options and other truths? Um, and like you say, like coming back to what is that bringing up for me? You know, why am I pushing against that? Why am I in resistance to, you know, like you were saying with men, like going to therapy, like, what is that about? Um, can we find empathy and compassion for each other and whatever the reason is? Cause there's always a reason. Yeah. I think it's just, it's, it's beautiful to me because we are living through a period in time where everything is getting shaken up, shook up, right? Um, all of the truths that some external force has defined for us, it's back to what you were saying about religion that is being taken away. Like, those truths just are not holding to be true anymore because if we bring it back to hetero 
um, normative relationships, women don't need to be with a man anymore. So if this is not fulfilling to me on a soul level, um, I'm not going to do that. And so the like the structures of how relationships were formed based on fear are now being replaced with an inner authority saying my relationship is going to be based on what I love. And that is a very different dynamic than what historically has been what relationships were based on. They weren't based on a solid uh, truth within myself. They were based on society defining for me what a relationship should be. And it can be a, a little bit confusing, I feel like, as these structures are getting um, rewired. And But it means that we get to create what feels like truth and beauty and the life that I want to live for ourselves. And I'm here for it. I love it. <laughs> All right, y'all. Be well. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Mm-hmm.